Welcome to the Project Church Podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Becky Johnson, like Sam said, I am the executive pastor of Jesus Culture Sacramento, where I was the youth pastor there for eight years, and I've been the executive pastor the last two years, coming up on two years. And um, yeah, we just love Project Church. Great friends with you guys. You have some of the finest pastors on the planet in uh, Chrissy and Caleb Cole. They are just incredible people, incredible leaders, and I'm so grateful to have a vibrant church, Bible-believing, spirit-filled, going after God right here in the heart of Sacramento. Amen. You guys are believing for transformation in this city, and we are believing with you. So thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm married to um, Derek Johnson. He's our worship pastor at Jesus Culture, and we've got three really awesome kids. And for everybody who just uh, shot up an org chart in their head when I said executive pastor married to the worship pastor, it's fine. (laughs) Never tense, never awkward. We've never thought about it. It's completely fine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you pray for me. Oh, yeah, I really do love Project Church, but I will say before we get into the word that the Lord really works on my uh, jealousy and envy when I walk your building. It just ain't right, you guys. This is the coolest church building in the region. It is so awesome. And every time I either meet with uh, Pastor Christy for coffee or connecting with Sam or just coming to hang out at the coffee shop, I just ask every time, are you guys hiring? Is there any need for... Um, me. <laughs> it's just so cool. It's so, so cool. You guys have a, a great space, and I just love hearing what God's doing through you guys and all that you're doing to reach the city of Sacramento. We're believing with you. We're believing for a great harvest. We're believing for a spirit to be poured out in this city. We're believing for revival, for prodigals to come home. We're believing for church to be filled. So, guys, let's get into the word. Uh, I know you've been in a series on Genesis, um, but we're going to do a little time warp today. I'm going to take you forward a couple of books, and we're in Joshua this morning, Joshua chapter 4. Let me set this up really quickly. Um, So in Genesis chapter 12, something happens called the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is made between God and Abraham, where God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you many descendants, and I'm going to bless your people with the land. And so Abraham receives that promise, and then that comes to pass in that uh, he has children, and then that people that God promised him, that thing where God says, I'm going to make you great, that becomes the nation of Israel. That becomes the Israelite right? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons of Father Abraham. You're one of them. Um, So uh, they they become the Israelites. And what happens in the course of their in the course of history is they become oppressed in the land of Egypt. And so they are God's children. They're the chosen nation. They're the promised people. And they have a land that God has promised them, but they become oppressed in Egypt. So Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they are holding them as slaves and they're mistreated and they are crying out for God to redeem them, to rescue them and to free them. And God hears their cries and responds by raising up a man named Moses who will confront Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And so Pharaoh says, no, 
now. Uh, there's 10 plagues. And finally, he says, okay, get out of here. And the Israelites leave Egypt, led by Moses, and they come to the Red Sea, one of the most prolific miracles in the Bible. And the Red Sea parts. God splits the sea. They walk on dry land towards their freedom. And they begin what we know of as the wilderness journey. Now, it's an 11-day uh, trip from where they started to the promised land. But that 11-day trip turns into 40 years. And so the Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years as they keep failing to learn the lessons and they keep failing to honor God. And they just really turn this 11-day this, uh, journey into something much more than it needed to be. And so here we are in Joshua chapter 4 and where we're picking up, why that's important to know, is that they are about to cross into the promised land. They've made it. A generation has died in the wilderness. Moses has passed on. He's raised up Joshua. And Joshua is now going to lead them into the promised land that they have been journeying towards for 40 years. And here they are. And they're at their last barrier to the promised land. They have to cross the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant, which is holding the very presence of God. So they can't touch it. They can't drop it. They have to carry it a certain way. And so they have all these thousands of people, and here they are at their last barrier to the promised land. God leads them to the river at flood season. It's the most tumultuous, the highest it's going to be. And so they need a miracle, and God does it. He dries up the Jordan River, and they cross with the Ark of the Covenant on dry land. But right afterwards... God gives them a very specific instruction and tells them to do something. And that's what we're going to pick up on. And we're going to read about that this morning and then dive into what that is. Joshua chapter 4. Let's read verses 1 through 10. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they had lodged and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day for the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. You know, in life, we understand this very natural concept that the things that are most important to us take priority. Whatever we care more, most about, we're going to take care of that thing first. You know, when you get home from work, you're taking care of the thing that is most important to you. For me, if, you, if you've got small kids, it's probably your kids, right? I've got three small kids. When I get home from being gone all day, the first thing I'm doing is I'm checking on my kids. I've got a toddler. Did she eat? Did she nap? What did she eat? How's she doing? You know, what's, what's the homework situation? I'm checking in on my kids because they're the most important thing to me. So they're the thing I tend to first. Some of you don't like your kids very much and you check in on them after you get home, after you change and you feed the cat first. You know, I get it. They're probably teenagers. Um, or when we teach young, young 
uh, teens to drive, we understand this. We tell them the first thing you do, it's the most important thing. Take care of that first. Buckle up. Check your mirrors, then you start driving. We're not saying, you know, check your mirrors when you get, you know, after you've been driving for a couple minutes, make sure you can see everything. We don't say, hey, buckle up, you know, once you get on the freeway, then you buckle. We understand the first things first, the most important things take priority. Well, God, in this, in this passage here, God has them do something interesting as they enter the promised land. He has a first thing that he wants them to take care of. Something takes priority before anything else. Now think about this. They have just crossed into a new territory. They have hundreds of thousands of people. They are weary. They have been battling. They've just witnessed a miracle. They've just crossed a muddy river. And I'm thinking there are probably a lot of other things they want to take care of. I know if I, you know, I'm a practical logistical planner. So if I had just, you know, if I'm in that situation and I cross over, I'm thinking, should we do a head count? Should we make sure little Hadassah with the limp got over? Like, should, you know, what's, uh, did all the animals get over? Is our food supply good? There are enemies in this land. Should we, should we scout the land? Should we find where food is? Should we get near the water? You know, I'm thinking there's so many other things that you would want to practically take care of, but God stops them. And the first thing he has them do is set up stones of remembrance. He says, hold on, before you take care of anything else, stop. You're going to want to remember this moment, set up these stones these memorial stones, do that first before you do anything else. How many of you know that how you start out in the promised land is important? How you begin your season of victory in breakthrough matters. And that's what we see. This is the principle. God places a first priority on these stones of remembrance because God understands this. There is power and benefit in remembering what I've done. The truth is, Project Church, we are called we are called to be a people who will remember the goodness of God in our life. And God establishes this principle early on in scripture. Uh, remembering, it's a recurring theme all throughout the word. You see the Psalms, they're just saturated in remembering God, recalling his works, meditating on his goodness. In the Old Testament, they, God established this principle early on. When I meet with you, when I promise you something, when you get a visitation from an angel, when you receive a dream from God, build an altar. Why is he doing that? He's trying to tell them, you're going to want to remember this moment. Mark the place in your life where I met you. The miracle, the goodness, the breakthrough, you're going to want to remember this. And this is Jewish culture, right? Jewish culture is built, upon, built around remembering all the festivals they have and the traditions they do. It's to point them to what God did. It's to point them to the goodness of God. And we're called today still to place stones of remembrance in and throughout our lives. It's an old covenant practice, but it's a new covenant principle. So we're living in the new covenant, but this principle still remains, guys, because there is great blessing in remembering and there's great pain in forgetting. Here's what happens when we forget to remember the works of the Lord in our life. We will limit God. It is amazing how quickly we will limit God when we fail to remember all the breakthroughs we've seen. So we begin to limit him. We put him in a box. We start to think he can't do it. He's not going to move. He's not the God of the impossible. We'll limit God. And then we'll look back on our life and we begin to take credit 
for things that we shouldn't take credit for. When I don't actively set up stones of remembrance in my life, when I don't actively discipline myself to remember the works of God, and we'll talk about what that practically looks like, I will look back on my past thinking I did it. It's amazing how much we credit ourselves for our victories. We love a good, Americans love a good self-made story. We love self-made millionaires. We do features on them and write books on them and we look up to them. And there's just something that we love about you did that without the help of anyone. You pulled yourself up from the bootstraps. You rose up out of poverty. You overcame adversity. And we just puff ourselves up. It's my hard work ethic. It's my grit and my determination. You know how I got where I am today? I didn't give up. I didn't let the haters take me down. And we, (laughs) this is what happens in the narrative we have when we don't look back on our life and say, the only reason I'm standing here today is because of the goodness of God. The only reason I woke up this morning, it wasn't my work ethic or my grit or my perseverance. God's the one who placed those things in me. And when I think I made my past happen, I will think I'm going to make my future happen. And then we'll look forward and we will think, We'll, we'll stop believing for more. We'll look to the future without remembering all the good things that God has already done. And we'll think our future is going to be all in our own effort and strength. And we stop believing for more. We begin to have uh, dreams that only man could accomplish. We begin to have small vision for our life. We don't contend for breakthrough. We stop believing for revival. We don't believe for healing. We shift our prayers and we begin to shrink our vision down to serve, to serve our own effort because we haven't actively remembered all the times that God has shown up in our life. That's the pain in forgetting to do this. And the reality is, is we forget. We forget all the time. Just human nature, guys. And so, and God understands this because he made us, he's acquainted with us. So he puts right here in scripture, remember, you're going to want to actively remember because I know you guys, you're going to forget. You're going to forget where I met you. You're going to forget the miracle I performed. You're going to forget the breakthrough that I gave you. So Take care, he says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12. Then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I look on this story and I'm like, how could they ever forget that God freed thousands of them from oppression and brought them into the promised land? How could they forget that? They did. And God understands this. So he's saying, take care, don't forget that I'm the one who did that. Guys, we just forget. It's nothing to feel ashamed about. It's just a reality to understand. We forget all the time. My oldest is 10, and a couple years ago, we started to experience some health issues with her. First kid to experience that. I don't know if you've ever dealt with a sick child. I don't think there's anything worse as a parent to be dealing with when your kid is in trouble and your kid's sick. And so she was having these illnesses that we just couldn't figure out. And she was getting sick very frequently. Hospitalization, she's having trouble breathing. She's getting these recurring fevers. And now every time, God would pull through. 
Every time God pulled us through, every time she made it, every time he, he surrounded us with community, he took care of our needs, there was financial strain. Every time she got sick, God was with us in the midst of it, and he was the one that got us to the other side. But what would happen, sure enough, is every time she got sick again, I would forget the previous time how good God was, and I would begin to get anxious and fearful and worried, and I would lose hope. I'd have my anxiety would raise until I would have some, some truth tellers in my life or until I looked back on, wait a second, I set up some stones of remembrance. God pulled us through the last time and he's gonna pull us through again. We just forget. And forgetting will keep you from taking ground. Here's the thing, you guys, you have ground to take in your life. You have a promised land to inhabit. But if you don't remember the goodness of God, if you don't remember his works that he's done in your life personally, in the lives of those people that you know, you, for, you stop moving towards that land. What happened in the wilderness, when the Israelites forgot how good God had been, they stopped progressing towards the promised land. Why did an 11 day journey take 40 years? Some of you should be at a breakthrough that you should have been at five years ago, but you've just failed to remember what God has done in your life, so you keep circling. And you're blaming everything else but yourself. You, they stopped progressing. Whenever they would forget what God had done, they would start complaining. They'd go, oh, we want to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go they, they regressed so much that they longed for the days of oppression. They forgot what God had done. They, they quit attributing it to God. Started blaming each other. They started complaining. They started grumbling. And they, they stopped progressing. In my own life, with my parenthood, here's the thing. I come from, uh, there have been a lot of mothers in our family line that have lost children. And so there has been a narrative given to the mothers in my family, hey, you might lose your kid. Your kid might die and you need to be prepared for that and you should be worried about that. And so mothers have lived in my family line, have lived in fear of losing a child. So what happens is my daughter gets sick. Now I understand this. The inheritance I wanna give my daughter is not fear. I wanna give her power, love, a sound mind, faith in God. I want her to believe for the impossible. So I understand this. I have some ground to take. I need to progress out of this generational bondage of anxiety and fear. I need to move myself out of that in my motherhood. I have ground to take. I have victories I need. So I need to remember what God has done so I keep progressing towards my promised land. Amen. Practical, practically guys, this is so easy to do. How do we build, how do we set up stones of remembrance? How do we have memorials in our lives? I'll give you three really easy things that you can start doing today. Talk about it, record it, and write it down. It's amazing how much we've just gotten out of this practice. One, talk about it. Guys, as the church, as believers, we are to be a city on a hill, a beacon of hope for the lost people in Sacramento, for your coworkers who don't know Jesus, for your family members who have gone astray. Your life should be emanating the hope of Jesus Christ. You should be talking about the goodness of God in your life. You should be talking about it. Talk about how good he is and what he's done for you and how he's met you and what he's pulled you out of and what he's saved you from. And listen, this is not a personality type. And I'm the first person to be able to talk about this because I'm not a glass half empty girl. I'm an empty glass girl. <laughs> I'm 
I'm a, I'm a pessimist that makes pessimists sad. Like my nature is to just look at everything that has gone wrong. I'm just, then I understand, like, listen, that's, that's just kind of my wiring. So I have to actively work towards this discipline that God has called me to. I don't naturally do it. I'm not naturally optimistic. I'm not naturally like, oh, praise God, I got a good parking spot. And then, and then I found a penny. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That penny was from him. I would think those people are stupid. I'm like, you're crazy. But they have tapped into something. They understand this. There is a blessing that attracts heaven when I start to attribute to God what is his. And so I've had to work against my own nature to talk about how good God has been. You ask people, what is God up to in your life? It is astounding how they will not have an answer. Jesus Culture staff meeting every Thursday, for 20 years, every Thursday at our staff meeting, we start staff off with, what are some testimonies? What is God up to in your life or what are you hearing about? You'd think after 20 years, our staff would be just chomping at the bit to answer that question. You could ask Jamie here who works for us every Thursday, hey guys, what are some testimonies? What is God up to? Silence. We're not used to this. We're not used to talking about what God is doing. You ask somebody next to you, ask the person next to you after, after well, after this service, hopefully their answer is different. But I'll say, hey, what's God doing in your life? I don't know, nothing. Like God is dead in your life. God is not active at all. I haven't seen a miracle and I don't know if I've ever seen a miracle. I, I don't know if I've ever had a breakthrough. I don't know if you've ever answered a prayer. I'm just believing for something. I'm actually in a really bad spot. I need God to show up. I'm like, sister, did you wake up this morning? You opened your eyes. That's the first miracle of the day. The only reason that you're up is because God decided to put oxygen in your lungs once again. The only reason that this whole universe is spinning is because of the mercy of God. Did you get in a car? Well, thank God you have a car. Hey, let's praise him for that. Did you get to this spot? Yeah. Did you get a coffee? Yeah, but you know, it's just like the last $3 I had. Well, hey, you had $3. Hallelujah. Like we need to start to talk. We need to change the way. And now I'm that stupid person. I get the front row parking spot. And I'm like, thank you, God. You just love me. You're just blessing me with close parking so I could, you know, you know, I just, you change the way. Talk about, David did this. He's like, you took me from the sheepfold. You helped me defeat the bear and the lion. You'll be with me in front of Goliath. He would be in a cave hiding from his son who wanted to kill him. And he'd be like, God, you're so good. God, you've done it before. You've saved me before and you'll save me again. Record it. I don't know if you guys are familiar with words of encouragement, prophetic words. When, when someone's praying over you, you should start recording that stuff. You should pull a voice memo. If someone comes to me and says, hey, God told me something I want to share with you. I, pull my, I say, stop, wait. Pull my phone out and I want to voice memo it. People want to pray over my kids. I, tell, I pull out my voice memo. I say, excuse me, if you think this is weird, I'm going to steward this moment and I'm going to record this so that I can look back on it. I'm building stones of remembrance that I have to look back on. God, you have promised me something. God, you blessed me. You have a promise for me. Someone prayed for me. Someone had a prophetic word for me. And then I play it back. It's stewarding the word. Some of us just want, oh, we need more prayer. We're at the altar again. We're at another conference. We want another guest speaker. I need another book. I need another prayer. I'm like, do you remember the last time God encouraged you? No, you're just a black hole of encouragement because you don't retain it. You don't build up stones of remembrance. You don't have anything to look back on. When you steward the word, you will attract more. 
My husband is so good at this. I know when he can't sleep, I know my husband. I know what he's doing. He's next to me in bed and he pulls out his phone and he has a notes app and he has a voice memo folder and he'll just read all the promises God's given to him. Through prayer times or different people, he'll play back words of encouragement that people have given him. Do you know who gets more of that than anybody that I know? Derek, my husband. He attracts it because God says, I can trust you with it. You're going to steward it. You're going to revisit it. You're going to remind me what I promised you. You're going to believe it. So you can talk about it. You can record it and write it down. Simply just write it down. We have lost the art of scribing, ascribing things. We just, we don't write things down. We, we don't journal anymore. We don't notate it. But guys, I am telling you something practical. Someone in front of you pays for your Starbucks, write it down. God, I'm, I am recognizing you're showing up in my life as a provider for that $8 oat milk latte that you just had to have. God said, I'll get you. I got you. Because he wants to tell you, I also got the $800 bill. And I want you to believe me for that. But we just think, oh, wow, that's so kind of them. Record it. Our first year of marriage, we were so broke, as most young marrieds are. And uh, we just heard of this concept from a pastor of writing down when God comes through for you. So we took a legal pad and we just started to write down every little monetary gift. Somebody gave us five bucks. I felt so silly. I wrote down $5 given to me this date. A bill got paid, $45 bill got paid. Someone dropped off groceries to help us out. Someone gave us $10. From 2007 to 2009, we recorded every gift of money or provision that somebody gave us and we wrote it down. One, a couple of things happened. One, we kept getting more because God, it's attracting the blessing of heaven because we're stewarding it. And now I have that legal pad. 15 years later, I have that sheet. And what that did for me and my house is we have a line in the sand. You can no longer make me question if God is my provider. I have proof that he's done it. You can no longer make me question that God doesn't care about the $13 bill, the $5 bill, the $5,000 bill. You can no longer shake my confidence that God is taking care of me as my father because I have built up stones of remembrance. My kids have all seen that sheet of paper. They've heard the stories. It is building in them faith that God is active and wants to meet us by writing it down. Write down when God blesses you. Write down when you see a miracle. Write down when you get a breakthrough. God commands us to remember because it actually positions us in the place of faith for him to do it again. How many of you have an experience where you remember you have a song that takes you back into an experience? You hear songs from your high school days, your first slow dance with your spouse, maybe a breakup song takes you right back to that heartache, right? It's a powerful experience when your memory is jogged. It puts you back into an experience. This is actually, can I just nerd out on some science right now for all my science nerds here? Scientists tell us that our storage capacity for memory is virtually unlimited. They estimate that our brains can store roughly 2.5 petabytes of data, which is about 300 years worth of TV. My five-year-old has accomplished this. However, what gets stored depends on what we deem as important. The brain is constantly processing the flood of information it encounters every day, assigning each package of data a different level of importance and storing that data accordingly. Short-term memory is information we hold on to before either dismissing it or transferring it to long-term memory. The most basic way our brains determine what information is important enough to store in long-term memory is repetition. Repeated experience tells our brain to pay attention and keep that information in a retrievable place. 
This is the nature of every type of active learning, education, training, or discipline. We intentionally position ourselves to encounter the same information again and again so that it moves from our short-term memory to our long-term memory. Here's the thing. God expects us to pay attention when he moves. He expects us to remember what he's done and allow that revelation to transform the way we see him so that the next time we show up at a flooded riverbank, we can look back on God's track record and have a place of faith to believe he's gonna part the waters again. Guys, river crossing moments are gonna happen. You're going to be led to a flooded riverbank again and again and again. God led them to the Jordan at that specific season, at that specific time. He leads us to stages for his power to be displayed. It's not always spiritual warfare or your dumb decision that got you there. Some of us are at the flooded riverbank and we're just like, oh my gosh, how did I get here? We're living in regret. Oh, I made my bed. I'm going to lie in it. Or we're like, oh, the demons are after me and hell is coming to get me. And I'm like, no, no, no. God wants to do a miracle in your life if you position yourself in a place of faith to know that he's going to part that water and you're going to walk through on dry land. We're camping out at the flood. But when you remember what he's done, when you actively have something to pull on, he parted the Red Sea before. You know, he led them to the Jordan the same time of year that they were at the Red Sea. I just love the details of scripture. That speaks to me. God's purposeful. God's intentional. God is with us. It's my job to remember who he is. It's my job to bank on his nature as a good father. But I won't do that if I don't actively remember. If I'm not attributing to God what he's doing in my life. I won't show up to that flooded riverbank with faith. I'm not in the habit of remembering. I'm forgetful. I'm worried. I'm nervous. I'm anxious. So I'm just sitting there. What's he going to do? How's he going to move this mountain? How's he going to part these waters? How am I ever going to get to the other side? There's my promised land. Some of you are right there at the brink of your breakthrough. All you need to do is remember how good God has been. And it's going to ignite you with the faith to press in. Psalm 7 says, Psalm 77, 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Here's the thing. While we wait for the new work, our job is to remember the old work. Amen. You won't have hope if you can't recall. Sociologists say that if a people, if a, if a nation, a community, any group of identity, if they want to endure, if that people wants to last, they have to become a people of memory. They have to have memory of their story and their history. And it's the memory that creates hope for the future. This is secular science is saying what the Bible has been saying. It's lining up with the word of God. If you remember, you will have hope. Did anyone walk in this morning hopeless? You have a hopeless situation in your life, a hopeless family member, a hopeless bill, a hopeless diagnosis, a hopeless child. Start remembering what God has done. Start recalling the works. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I have never seen a miracle. I've never had a breakthrough. Maybe you're angry. Maybe this word frustrates you. Again, the only reason you're in that chair, it's miraculous. God's goodness has been on you. Might not be where you want to be, but you know you're not where you should be. <laughs> you're getting more than, than you deserve. 
He hung on a cross and died for you so that you could be sitting here today. That's reason to be full of hope. That's a work to remember. That's the goodness of God in your life. Begin to, to train yourself to think that way. Set up these stones. I'm gonna record when you've, when you've come through for me. I'm gonna remember it, small and big. Big move or little move. I'm gonna set up stones of remembrance in my life. Because listen guys, I'm not called just to remember for myself. I need to for me, but we're called to remember for others. You know what the city of Sacramento needs? A community of people who remember the goodness of God and who believe for this city. You know what your family members need? You know what your family members who are away from the Lord or are struggling, you know what they need? They need you recalling the goodness of God in your life so that you show up to the family dinner emanating with the hope of Jesus Christ. They need to see you moving in a place of faith and then it ignites them, it changes them. One of the stated purposes of the stones, you guys, why are you doing this? When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off. The faith of the next generation is dependent on our ability to recall what God has done in our lives. Setting up stones of remembrance helps the people around us. If you and I need to be reminded, so do your coworkers, so do your neighbors. My husband and I had dinner with a couple from our church that were newer. And I love telling people how they met Jesus. I love any salvation story. So I said, how'd you meet Jesus? Tell me. And the husband began to share about just the most beautiful, miraculous story. He was over a toilet bowl in a crack house, hit rock bottom, had lost everything, and God met him. And his story, he had stones of remembrance all throughout his life. He remembered people that had prayed for him, books that were given to him, uh, services that he was in that he shouldn't have been in. He, you know, near-death experiences where God saved him and he didn't know it at the time. He had all these memorials set up. And as he was recounting his story, as he was recounting the goodness of God in his life, I felt the physical manifestation of hope fall on me. As I remembered a family member of mine, who is so lost in drug addiction right now, lost everything. He has been deemed as a lost cause in our family. We've gone through seasons of putting him on the prayer wall and the prayer card, and then you don't, and then it gets worse, and you just think, my gosh, I guess the only hope for him will be on the other side of this earth. And as that man shared his story of God freeing him from bondage and addiction and darkness and pain, I began to be filled with hope once again to believe for my family member. This is what we're called to, to be a people who will remember what God has done to ignite the faith and hope in others. Our remembering doesn't just benefit us, it, it benefits those around us. Are you guys with me? Do you stand up? So I just want to pray that you'd have a moment right now. Just close your eyes all over this sanctuary. Would you close your eyes and just have a moment? Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I, I am believing for a shift to take place in our hearts. I'm believing for remembrance to spring up in our lives. Any area that you feel like you've just forgotten, you've just quit pressing in, you've quit, you've quit building stones. You feel hopeless, you feel frustrated.
feel like some of you are even at the, just the end of your rope. Like if you don't see a breakthrough, you're walking away. God, would you speak to us this morning? Would you speak to us? Help us, God, help us. Give us the grace. Holy Spirit, come alongside of us and just begin to show us things that we've long forgotten. I feel like some of you are even gonna start to remember things from decades ago that you forgot. You never thought that was God. He's gonna show you this morning, that was me. I had my hand on you. That was a work I did in your life. Remember that. Get filled with hope for the next generation. Get filled with hope for your family. Get filled with hope for this generation. Get filled with hope for Sacramento. Get filled with hope for your own situation. Help us be a people who are committed to remembering your works. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.